your host for Lacrosse Talk PM, Rick Solom. All right, welcome to a Wednesday of Lacrosse Talk PM. I am Rick Solom in the studio with me, as he usually is on. It's kind of a Friday today, right? Like uh, Dr. Anthony Tregoski, the political science professor at UW Lacrosse. Happy Wednesday, Rick. And this is like. This is like a super exciting uh, show to have because we have Dr. Charles Franklin. We yes. have the czar of the Marquette University Law yes. School poll. This thing that uh, I guess political junkies, as Ron Kine calls us, political yep. junkies as ourselves, like I get really excited about to see what the poll is going to say. Every time a Marquette poll comes out, we get to see the popularity of Joe Biden, Donald Trump, Ron Johnson, Tammy Baldwin, Tony Evers. You go down the list. It gives us a real sense of where things are at in Wisconsin politics. And with the most recent Marquette poll that came out in November, we saw that Tammy Baldwin is about even in terms of the number of people who view her favorably versus unfavorably. We saw some very interesting numbers on the Wisconsin State Supreme Court. As we've talked about, we saw that the public overwhelmingly wants judges elected, overwhelmingly wants candidates for judge to talk about the issues during the campaign. The Marquette poll has a lot to chew on, and that is always the case. Yeah, we're going to we're going to dive into obviously what some of the reasoning why Dr. Charles Franklin picks these. I guess you know the and, and then the process, right? Can we trust polls? How, how, a, how is this created? Nobody's answering. The, you can't just call the landline anymore. Stuff like that, right? It's so hard to do polls nowadays because no one answers the darn phone. Now, in the past, they would do random digit dialing, use methods to randomly dial numbers, get enough people to answer the phone, and that would give you a sample for your poll. Now you got to do online. You got to do other methods. And then you got to word the questions in a way that gives you accurate results. There's so much that goes into doing a top-notch poll. And believe me, Rick, Marquette is a top-notch poll. Yeah, you can't be biased with the questions. And right. Then, uh, I, do you think maybe the poll... Or, or you need to look at how the question is worded and then use that to interpret the results. Do you think the poll is better now? Then I, I understand that we could trust polls better, better back then, but we can A, we could trust this poll. And the the methodology at which they get to it, and we'll we'll talk to him about that. But I feel like we can we could do better at these polls now, just the way we think about this. Yeah, I mean, if people were just not answering their phone, if the phone survey has gone by the wayside, then we have to figure out new ways to do it. I and- just I just think if we're randomly dialing phone numbers to get a person's take on some politics, I, I feel like that's not. That's not the best way, even even like back in the 80s when there were just landlines. There you know are some I mean? real disadvantages to the phone survey. And I think it's just all about transparency. What I like about the Marquette poll is Charles gives you the full rundown of how they found the people that answer the questions and then how the questions were worded. As long as a poll is highly transparent, then we can interpret it accordingly. All right, let's get into it. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back with Dr. Charles Franklin, the architect of the Marquette Law School poll. All right, welcome back to Lacrosse Talk PM. On the phone now with us, with Tregoski and I, is Dr. Charles Franklin, as we were talking about before. Uh, Dr. Charles Franklin is a professor of law and public policy. He's also the director of the Marquette Law School poll. Uh, thanks for joining us, uh, Dr. Franklin. It's great to be with you. Thanks for having me on. First of all, the law, the Marquette poll, is this the thing that nationally is, a, is, is recognized? It, it absolutely is, Rick. The Marquette 
poll is nationally recognized as being a very accurate poll and as driving the conversation in the state of Wisconsin in a way that you don't always see with public opinion. It becomes almost this event in Wisconsin politics when a Marquette poll is going to be released. So we are so fortunate in the state of Wisconsin to have such an exceptional poll at Marquette Law and to have a truly exceptional individual in Dr. Frank Franklin running that poll. That's poll. awfully nice of you. I appreciate that. <laughs> you put out a poll how often? Like once a month? No. Well, we're doing 14 between now and the election. All right. Um, six of those will be national and the rest will be state polls. All right. I, I guess the, the easiest and, and silliest, not maybe not the silliest, but the easiest question is, uh, how do you do a poll that's accurate when only my parents, my, you know, <laughs> only like boomers are answering the landline, right? That's the kind of the goofiest way to put that. You can't do a poll because no, no, nobody like 20 years old is answering a, a cell phone call from an unknown number. No, that's been a big problem, and it's a growing problem. Um, in, in the past, we did about 75% of our interviews on cell phones and only a quarter with landline. But starting in June, we shifted our methodology, as much of the polling world has done, so that now we sample from the registered voter list of everyone in the state that's registered to vote, and we match that against uh, email addresses and phone numbers. And we'll send you an email inviting you to take the poll online We'll also send you a text message inviting you to take it online. And if we don't hear back from you, we actually will call your number. But that's more likely to be your cell number rather than a landline. So essentially what we're doing is trying to reach people whatever way we can. And because most of the interviews are now completed online, it has the added convenience that you can do it on your smartphone, on your tablet, on your laptop, and you can do it when you want to rather than when we call during the middle of dinner. Is there any amount of mistrust to doing it online versus hearing someone's voice and kind of gauging? I don't know if that's how you do it when you talk to them. Do you gauge yeah. kind of how they're reacting to your questions to, to, to go, you know what, this person doesn't sound, I don't, I don't know if that's how you judge people when you're on the phone. No, there is a, a bit of mistrust. I mean, we've all been trained to be wary of online scams. We provide information in the invitation that explains who we are, what we're doing, includes a link that you can, or an email address that you can send questions to. And of course, some people call Marquette and ask people, you know, ask our staff about it. Um, but, but I think the biggest difference is that on the phone, 98% of the calls are never answered at all. So those are people that don't do the survey, but they don't know they're choosing not to do the survey. With the current methodology, you at least receive the invitation and the explanation either by email or by text. And that's working pretty well, but it's still uh, much harder to get people to respond these days than it was 20 years ago. 
And Charles, as you're pivoting to this new model, what are some of the challenges that you're experiencing? I imagine that as you're changing how you do polls, you had one set of challenges with the phone surveys and maybe a new set of challenges with your new approach. No, that's right. I think the upside is that we're now sampling from the registered voter list, so we know everyone we're trying to contact is a registered voter. There's a small percentage of those people that we don't have either a phone number or an email address for, and obviously we can't contact them. So that's a loss. Um, The other thing is um, (coughs) newly registered voters, people who aren't going to register until Election Day, those are going to be a challenge to capture. Uh, We do have another method that captures some of those, but it's going to be a smaller group than what we've been able to do in the past. Do you you find that there's any, you know, I'm getting a poll online and I'm just going to answer the questions wrong or not how I feel? You know what I mean? Like, I'm just going to I'm going to put them all Democrat or I'm going to put them all, you know, just so there is because I want to mess up the poll because I don't trust polls and I want to make it more so like that. Well, there are a few things we do. The first thing is we're going to ask you 40 questions. It is really a trying task mentally to answer wrong 40 times in a row. Um, And so, trust me, it'll just be easier on you to tell me the truth. Um, But but we also do things with the online version, which is checking if someone answers yes to everything or no to everything. Also, do they finish it in less time than a normal human could possibly read all the questions? So we do quality control that way. But in the end, we have to trust people to give us their feelings, their opinions, because we genuinely want to know what they think. And, um, you know, I think it really is a lot more trouble to try to make something up and be misleading. And to do that consistently is very hard. I don't know. A lot of those people seem to have a lot of time on their hands. (laughs) One way or the other. Uh, We're speaking with Dr. Charles Franklin. He's the director of the Marquette Law School poll. When we say director, did you, how long you been doing that? Since 2012. Since 2012. And how long has the Marquette Law School poll existed? You know, since 2012. Okay. That's, see, that's kind of what I was getting at. Uncoincidentally, Rick. Okay. So you're the creator. (laughs) This is your baby, too. Okay. So, uh, yeah, that's, I was kind of getting to that. And I was like, you know what? This thing might be older than that. Um, you know, when, when it first started, uh, to now, did you ever think it would grow into this thing that is kind of, uh, nationally renowned and especially in Wisconsin? Or like the political world in Wisconsin just stops when Charles is giving his presentation at Marquette Law. (laughs) Sure. Definitely. (laughs) Yeah. That, that was a surprise to tell you the truth. You remember that one thing happened in 2012 and that was the recall of governor Walker. Hmm. And so we started our first poll in January of 2012, leading up to the recall in June. And that was a very hot time. People were very passionate. Then we moved into the fall election with Obama up for re-election and Tammy Baldwin running for the Senate seat against Tommy Thompson. People were really interested in that. So we really did, (laughs) without realizing we were going to do it, stepped right into the maelstrom of the 2012 elections. And that drew an awful lot of attention. 
Now we're a year away from the 2024 election. Obviously, the the polls will talk about Trump, Biden and the rest of the fields. Can we trust any polls? There's a lot of talk right now about the polls for Joe Biden, for example, and how Democrats are freaking out a little bit about his low poll numbers, what the polls indicate regarding concerns about his age and inflation and other aspects that seem to be a bit of a drag on Joe Biden's approval numbers that seem to be a bit of a drag on his head to head numbers when tested against Donald Trump, Ron DeSantis, Nikki Haley and others. And so, Charles, I think the question that a lot of people are asking is, do the numbers today tell us something about November 24 or more generally, what do the numbers today tell us about the political environment? Yeah, I think that's a really important question. If you think of the polls today as predictors of who's going to be ahead by three points in November, no, we are not telling you that. There's so much time and so much could change. If you think what we're saying is this looks like a close election and both Joe Biden and Donald Trump have strengths and weaknesses, and we're not sure how those will develop over time then I think you can treat that as something reasonable. But if we show Donald Trump up by two or Joe Biden up by two a year away from the election, you absolutely should not take that as a forecast of where the election will end up. You should also realize there are some things we're pretty sure will happen. Sometime next summer, it'll become very clear who the choices are. Who's going to be on the ballot? And people will be able to focus on that choice rather than right now where there are three or four third-party candidates being talked about. There's still talk about, well, maybe Joe Biden would not be nominated. Maybe Donald Trump won't win the primaries. All of those questions will be finished by next summer. And then people will focus on the actual choices they have for November, and that may include some third-party candidates on the ballot, of course. But it'll then be the real choices rather than right now where we're really still talking about hypothetical choices. The gap seems so huge between Donald Trump and the rest of the field. Is it even, it just seems, are people's opinions going to change in a year? Oh, it seems very unlikely that Trump will collapse in the Republican primary. He's been holding nationally in the mid to upper 50% range, while his closest opponent is below 20%. So I won't say it could never happen. Maybe there could be a shocking upset in Iowa, followed by another upset in New Hampshire. But that's really a long shot. It could happen, though. Looking looking at... Looking at your Go latest, ahead. looking at your latest poll, like Nikki Haley is, is, isn't she just dominating Trump or no, not Trump, Biden, Biden. So what would a national oh, Republican yeah. party look yeah. at that and go, Hey, we might need to, I don't know, like we might need to cut ties here. Nikki Haley might be Biden and Trump's, you know, neck and neck. I don't know if that right. can no, change. I don't, you know, it's really interesting that Haley is running third in the primary, but running well ahead in the general election matchup. She really is the weaker candidate in the primary, but by far the strongest candidate in the general. That's also shown up in a number of other polls recently. So it's not just my results in Wisconsin. It's true nationally, and it's true in 
in other state polls. I think what's going on there is that Haley draws a strong support from Republicans, but she also doesn't carry the baggage that Donald Trump carries. And as a result, she gets that strong Republican backing, but she also draws a number of, in our data up to 15 percent of Biden supporters over to her. Now, I don't think that's what would happen a year from now, because if Haley won the nomination, the party polarization over a choice of Haley, the Republican, Biden, the Democrat, that would take effect. And we'd see people come back home to their parties by Election Day. But what I do think it shows is that Biden does have some weakness and vulnerability that a Republican like Haley, who's not a Trumpy candidate, actually could do much better. The trouble is, of course, she'd have to win the nomination first. The the thing I'm thinking with with polls, if I if, Charles, if I got this poll, I would be thinking there's no consequence to my answer. I don't want either Trump or Biden on the ballot. I'm just going to vote for Nikki Haley as a as somebody who would probably vote for Biden. I'm just going to vote for Nikki Haley so that when this poll comes out, the Democratic Party goes, oh, bleep. We need to uh, maybe we need to reassess this. And I, I mean, you got to take that into oh, consideration. This is just Rick playing three dimensional chess here, Charles. <laughs> Apparently, um, you know, there is some chance of that. Um, it's interesting that DeSantis doesn't get a similar big boost. <laughs> Excuse me. But Haley does. Um, also, her favorability numbers are better than either Trump or DeSantis. Um, you know, I, I don't think we can say much more from our data about exactly what else is an advantage for her, but it does seem clear that she looks more like either a generic Republican or a non-Trumpy, historically average Republican. And that does help her because Biden does have these vulnerabilities and weaknesses right now. Again, I think a lot of Democrats will come back to him, even if they dream of having somebody else who's 55 years old. But that's probably not the choice they're going to ultimately have in November. So we just have to watch how this develops over the next 11 months. We're speaking with Dr. Charles Franklin. He is the director of the Marquette Law School poll and the professor of law and public policy. Uh, we got to take a break. We'll be back to continue this conversation in a minute. All right. Welcome back to Lacrosse Talk PM. I'm Rick Solom. In the studio with me is Dr. Anthony Chagoski, UW Lacrosse political scientist. And on the phone with us is Dr. Charles Franklin, the director of the Marquette Law School poll, and he's a professor of law and public policy. And I'll just say, Chagoski, I probably didn't introduce you very well last <laughs> segment because I was so excited to have Dr. Charles Franklin on here to talk about the, the law school poll, which we have been diving into. Um, and as we were kind of, as we're, you know, talking off air a little bit, and asking you, hey, can we talk about this and that, Dr. Franklin? Um, do do you have all these polls memorized, like, or do you have like a in, in the do you have like a poll room at your house or maybe your office, and it's just got charts all over the walls, so you can just go, I know where this poll is. Here's the poll on Biden Trump or something like that. There are a few things like that in my home office. I I won't lie to you. Um, 
You know, the funny thing is, I can get the numbers to stick in my head for the week that we released the poll, and then it sort of fades for a while after that. Um, sometimes I'm pretty good at it. Sometimes I have to cheat. <laughs> and then also, when you, you've you been doing this for, this is the 11th year, I believe. Yep. Um, d- d- did you do a poll that just sticks out? Like, wow, I can't believe, I don't know, it just seems stupid. To, like, But is there a poll that you look back on history and go, wow, I can't believe... I would guess something around 2016 might might have stuck out with you. Well, 2016 sticks out in the bad way because that was our worst error ever. Uh, we we got had Hillary Clinton up by six, so that was a terrible mistake. The one that and so yeah, that one will never go away. The one that I think actually was the first one that sticks out, and that was the Walker recall where we were within a point of the actual outcome of that election. And given all the attention that it got and that it was our first year of polling, it was really important for us to show that we could be accurate. And a lot of Democrats didn't like that we showed Walker leading, but then we were right. Then in the fall, we had both Democrats leading and Republicans got very upset. And again, we were within about a point and a half of those outcomes. And so that was very helpful for the reputation of the poll to be right in such a high stakes, high visibility first year of doing the polling. Did you do the poll because of the Walker recall? Maybe he said that and I missed it, but was it no, like, you know uh, what, this is crazy. When we, agree, when we, when we decided to start the poll, the recall had not yet become official. Uh, I honestly, I thought we were going to spend the spring doing surveys about sociological things, family, schools, living in the country, hunting. And, of course, we did almost none of those things because (laughs) it was recall all the time, every time. How do you uh, interpret the public's negative uh, negative view of the state legislature? I want to get into the state poll, right? This is important. We have two things we want to get into the state poll, right? First of all, we've been talking about this in the past. People don't know who Robin Voss is. Yeah. That's one that's weird. Uh, People And you pointed out people don't know who Tammy Baldwin is? Yeah. You know, Charles, in the poll that came out in November of Wisconsin registered voters, Charles, in your Marquette poll, you polled – favorable and unfavorable ratings of Tammy Baldwin, Ron Johnson, Tony Evers, and Robin Voss. And what stuck out to Rick and I is that 46% of the people surveyed say they haven't heard enough about Assembly Speaker Robin Voss in order to offer an opinion one way or another. Does that surprise you that perhaps the most powerful Republican, or I would say Definitely the most powerful Republican in Wisconsin state government is that unknown from voters. Uh, What do you make of that result? Because that one kind of popped out to me. Yeah, it really is a stunner. But we've asked this question half a dozen times, and the don't know rate hovers around 50 percent all the time. One way to look at that is to appreciate that Robin Voss, like any assembly member, is elected from just one of 99 districts. So he has literally been voted for by no more than one 99th of the state. Mm -hmm. He hadn't been on anybody else's ballot. So unlike a statewide candidate who would build name recognition through their campaigns, that doesn't happen. It is a frightening thing about what it says about 
news media and coverage of the state capitol and what's going on there that despite certainly a decent amount of coverage and focus on it, that that still doesn't carry over to people having a clear idea of who he is. Um, but as I say, I don't think that's surprising. When we ask about three members of Congress in June, none of them had more than 26 or 27 percent who had an opinion about them. So there, too, you see how low name recognition can be, even for a member of the U.S. House, let alone a, an assembly member. Do you ever get people? OK, so people that answer your polls probably care about politics. But also, you 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 kind of want people that don't care about politics, which would get the unknown answers. Sure. Um, so, is there evidence from your poll that people actually care or are aware of politics? Yeah, yeah, and there's variation. I think you're right. Anybody that takes a poll must be a little more interested than the average bear. Um, on the other hand, these are all registered voters. So they've already overcome that minimal threshold of becoming registered to vote. But we ask a question, um, how often do you follow what's going on in politics? 60% say most of the time, but 27 say some of the time, 10% only now and then, and just 3% say hardly at all. But if you look at answers to other questions against that, that variable, you see, sure enough, that the don't know rate is lower for those who follow it most of the time and higher for some or only now and then. So that attention to politics does make a difference, and it does stand out pretty clearly in the polling. Likewise, that attention to politics has a lot to do with whether you're likely to vote in the upcoming election. Your take on Robin Voss is a pretty good one. My uh, the, the biggest thing I heard about somebody talking about Robin Voss was there. They said, I, I finally saw a picture of Robin Voss and I didn't know that he was a guy. So essentially saying his name because his name's Robin and, uh, and he's an unknown. So they, that, that poll result kind of makes perfect sense in alliance with what this person said. He's never seen Robin Voss before. And Charles, I wanted to get your take on Tammy Baldwin. Of course, Tammy Baldwin is up for reelection in a crucial Senate seat here in Wisconsin in 2024. Your poll of Wisconsin voters that came out in November found that 41% have a favorable view of Tammy Baldwin. have an unfavorable view. In the previous segment, we talked about how the campaign can move these numbers to at least some extent. Do you anticipate that those numbers on Baldwin are going to move throughout the upcoming year? Yes, I do. Also, 15% said they didn't have an opinion about Baldwin. That's a lot less than for Robin Voss. Who's only been a U.S. Senator for, oh, about a decade, by the way. Exactly. Um, But what we see with both senators is a very clear election cycle effect. After all, they're elected every six years. So there's a lot of time in between for people to forget about them. Um, Again, they are U.S. senators. You'd kind of like that not to happen, but it does. (laughs) With Baldwin, our history of her is that she fluctuates between a little bit more favorable than unfavorable or like this poll, a little more unfavorable than favorable. But as we get into the campaign year, um, we'll see her don't know rate go down quite a bit. 
uh, to well under 10% by election day. And then the big question is, does she run an effective campaign that boosts her favorability, or does her opponent run an effective critical campaign that boosts her unfavorability? So, again, back to what is good of a poll today, it tells us that she's starting pretty close to even on favorability, but over the next six surveys we do before the election, does she move in a more positive direction or a more negative direction? And that movement over time is really the value of polling every month or two up through the election is to see how the campaign is affecting perceptions of her. Does Tammy Baldwin look at this poll and go, I got to do some more hits on 24-7 news stations? I got to get on Fox. I got to get on SMS because Ron Johnson seems to be on those all the time. I don't see Tammy Baldwin on them as much, and I could be wrong there, but maybe she's just not saying the thing that gets national attention, even if she's on national TV. Charles, have you noticed differences in how the public perceives Baldwin versus Johnson? Or as you talk about, there is that six-year cycle for a senator. They fade from public awareness a bit when they're not running for election. Have you seen parallels between public views of Baldwin or Johnson or – we always talk about how yeah. different they are. I, have you also noticed differences in public attitudes towards them? Yeah, in a couple of ways. Ron Johnson, between elections, was less well-known than Tammy Baldwin was. But as we came up to 2022, she became far better known. Uh, I mean, he, sorry, Ron Johnson became far better known. So that right now, in the aftermath of that 22 election, only 10% say they don't have an opinion of Johnson versus 15% for Baldwin. Sure. But Johnson is net negative on this, 40% favorable, 50 unfavorable. <clears throat> and that's come down just before the election. He got his favorable and unfavorable numbers more in line with each other, just a little bit net negative, but not by much. And that has fallen off in our June and now November polls. So there is some difference, but both of them show this falling off in awareness between elections and then growing awareness as they're the focal point of of upcoming campaigns. We're speaking with Dr. Charles Franklin. He's the director of the Marquette Law School poll. He's also a professor of law and public policy there at Marquette. And obviously, we're talking a lot about the poll. Um, we, we need to do the, the Wisconsin Supreme Court stuff. Um, right. And I don't have those in front of me. So um, but there, but Wisconsin Supreme Court is 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 hearing arguments right now about essentially about gerrymandering in the state, the voting district lines, and then they're also there's also some news that they may or may not take up voucher schools. So, so first, Tregoski, what's the thing with the Marquette or with the on the Marquette poll with the the Supreme Court? Yeah, Charles, you asked a question in the November poll about redistricting now or in 2031, and you found that the public was pretty evenly divided. 45% say, let's redraw the district maps now, and 51% said, let's keep those maps in place prior to 2031. Now, I was watching the presentation you gave at Marquette, and you said that you deliberately did not use the word gerrymandering when you were asking that question about redistricting. Could you tell us about your reaction to those results and why you left that key word out of the poll question? Sure. Um, you know, I mean, there's no question that our legislature is gerrymandered. There's a real Republican advantage in the way the maps have been drawn. And I think all this data analysis has supported that. 
But using the term gerrymander is a loaded word that um, gives a strong hint to the respondent about where they're supposed to stand on this or what the What we wanted to know is, has all the messaging about redistricting actually gotten through to the public if you don't provide it to them on a silver platter and say, hey, you don't like gerrymandering, do you? (laughs) We'd get a different answer if we asked it that way. Um, And so I think asking a very neutral and non-directive question helps tell us how well the public understands what's at stake here. Now, when we look at this question by partisanship, we find about three-quarters of Republicans don't want the redistricting to take place now, and about three-quarters of Democrats do want it to take place now. But a little over half of independents don't want it to happen now. I think the main message here is one of whether or not the proponents of redistricting have actually effectively gotten their message through to the vast majority of voters. And I'd say they've gotten it through to a lot of people, three-quarters of Republicans, three-quarters of Democrats. That's a lot of partisan division. But you might imagine that that number would be a lot bigger if we had a a better-informed electorate on this. So that's the takeaway from this is – When you talk about redistricting, there is understanding of what the stakes are, but without providing direct cues about gerrymandering, uh, a lot of folks don't see it in those terms. Yeah, I have a problem. I I sometimes feel like voters don't even know what gerrymandering is. And if you throw the term redistricting, they don't really know what that is. So all of that seems like it's probably foreign to more people than than more people like knowing exactly what's going down there. This is one of the real kinds of dilemmas of process stories. You know, you're talking about something about the process in the legislature, how districts are drawn, the role in the courts in doing that. And, you know, for us junkies, we know all that stuff. But for a lot of people, it's fairly distant. And if you don't know who Robin Voss is, whether you've picked up the details of what a redistricting would do if it were implemented now, that's something that requires a lot of work on the part of advocates, honestly, to advertise and message about the issue. And Charles, to that point, you also asked on the November poll, how much have people heard about the possible impeachment of Justice Janet Protasiewicz? You found that of the registered voters you surveyed, 29 percent said they had heard nothing at all about the possible impeachment. But regarding that partisan division that you've been emphasizing, 46 percent of Democrats said that they had heard a lot about the possible impeachment of Justice Protasiewicz, while 20 percent by comparison, of Republicans said that they had heard a lot about the impeachment. To you, Charles, this was my interpretation, but I'm interested in your interpretation. To you, was that evidence that the Democratic Party had been pretty effective at engaging the party's base on the issue of the possible Protosawitz impeachment? Yeah, I think so, because the Democrats actually have advertised and messaged about this uh, a month or so ago. 
um, they put some effort and some money behind that effort. I think the irony, though, is that talking about a possible impeachment began as a Republican point, a Republican talking point, and yet their voters hadn't heard about it, while the Democrats, who were strongly opposed to an impeachment, did get the message and actually did actively advertise and communicate. So it's a little bit of the flip side of the redistricting question where that communications happened. It actually reached the Democratic voters that it was aimed at. But just talking about it in the legislature didn't reach the Republican voters who might have also been the target of that message. But their party didn't get that message out to them. Yeah, it seems like maybe they they didn't want that message out. Uh, the last thing on the Wisconsin Supreme Court before we let you go, um, electing Supreme Court justices or not electing, the, the numbers were huge for we want to elect these people. And then there, you, you also had a poll on whether or not they should talk about the issues. Uh, when we see the U S Supreme court, they always, when they're, when they're in the Senate committees, right. They always, <laughs> well, that could be a possible court hearing. So I can't, yep, you know, yep. I can't have an opinion on that. It's like, yes, you can. And we want to know it. <laughs> uh, we didn't do that in Wisconsin Supreme court race. We, we knew about these opinions. Um, so yeah, what did, did, did those results surprise you that, uh, most of the, both sides of the aisle want to elect Supreme court justices and they want to hear the opinions, right? Yeah, that's both right. Um, about half the states elect judges and about half appoint them through some method. So we got 87% that said it's better to elect them. So that's really lopsided. And both Republicans, independents, and independent uh, Republicans, Democrats, and independents all strongly support elected uh, judges. But then on the question of should candidates discuss issues likely to become come before them if elected so voters know what the candidates stand for, or should they avoid talking about such issues in order not to seem to be prejudging the cases? Well, 80% said discuss the issues. 19% said avoid them. Um, and support was 70% among Republicans and are close to 90% among Democrats. So it is clear that on these two questions, voters are really overwhelmingly in favor of elections, but also overwhelmingly in favor of candidates talking about the issues. That was part of the topic behind Protosewitz, that she had talked about issues. Republicans thought they had cro- she had crossed the line in prejudging cases. But it's pretty clear from this question, most of the public want people to talk about the issues. All right. Of course, I have one more question. I get that the legislature would look at your poll and and kind of try to decide what what to or not to do. Does when we talk about the gerrymandering case, does the Wisconsin Supreme Court care about the public's (laughs) opinion? Because should they? Can they? Do they? I'd be very surprised if they do. Um, Certainly. they have a difficult enough time, you know, coming to a decision on this very important case. 
I don't think that my poll is having much of an effect on that one way or another. Yeah, I guess I'm, I'm, you, you, you would beat your own drum there if you were talking about it. But it's it, it, more of a political. You know what? Chergoski will just have to do this on a, a next Friday when we. Uh, All right, we'll take it up next Friday. <laughs> this is a thing that this is more of a political <laughs> science question than a polling question. But Dr. Charles Franklin is professor of law and public policy and the director of the Marquette Law School poll. Dr. Franklin, I really appreciate you coming on. It's so it's so great to talk to you about this stuff. Thanks for having me. It was great. Thanks, Charles. All right, take care, we, Anthony. All right, we got to take a quick break. We'll be back. All right, welcome back to Lacrosse Talk. I'm just going to wrap up here with UW Lacrosse political science professor Dr. Anthony Chergoski. Uh, what, what did you take? What did you take from uh, talking to uh, Dr. Franklin? Well, I just love talking to Charles, and he makes such a good point about how the polls today do tell us something meaningful. But we also have to consider that there is a long way to go before November 2024. So when we see, for example, that Biden and Donald Trump are running neck and neck in Wisconsin, that is important information. But we should not expect things to be exactly how they look in the Marquette poll come November 2020. I mean, basically, Rick, the Marquette poll shows this is going to be a close race. Now, could be two points here that change, two points there that change. We're heading for a close race. That much is clear at this point. I always think it's funny, too, because there's always like the independent factor. And I'm like, nobody's independent anymore. I just I don't think that's the case. Yeah. It's just, I, and and you know, what we have to do now is we've got to take this conversation, Anthony, and <laughs> take some bullet points, just take some notes from it. Because we. I feel like right at the end there, right, I had a question about and now I forgot it. So I'm going to have to go back and listen, because when you come back next week, I, f- I feel like we should analyze some of the stuff that we learned. Yeah. Like the for example, do judges pay attention to public opinion? That's, you were asking, yeah. Charles, if you think that the judges on the Wisconsin State Supreme Court would pay attention to the question he asked about redistricting. Now, they are elected officials. They have to take public opinion into account to some extent. But would they take it into account when making a specific ruling? That's another question. The other one was with your chest. I'm playing chess or something like that. Just the idea. Oh, yeah. That I'm going to screw up the poll because at this point, no consequences. I'm going to vote for Nikki Haley instead of Joe Biden. Yeah. To what extent do people give honest responses to the polls? Charles talked about how they try to get high quality data, but there's definitely some error in any poll, even the best polls like the Marquette poll. The poll is a better, maybe a better representation of how people feel where the actual vote that counts because we don't have ranked choice voting is is one that's like, oh, no, I have to do this because uh, otherwise Charles, uh, Charles always says polls don't vote. People do. Yeah, definitely. All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Thanks, Stragoski. Thank you. And everyone have a happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. It's the first time we've never mentioned uh, pistachio fluff in a pre Thanksgiving. Whoa. trip. <laughs>